I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, you think of as like an empowerment to go and like do the hard things and like live into, you know, something maybe you think you couldn't do on your own, but like to enter into those hard things. And maybe that is some of what it means, but I think it's more hard things are going to come. When they do, I'm going to give you strength. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to get you through it. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I'm here with Lindy and Katie, and we are your podcast hosts. And today we have the most interesting story of conjoined twins, because it is fascinating. We have Stephanie Castle, who actually lives in Birmingham. And if you were from here, you probably followed their story on Facebook. I feel like everyone I know was following along with mm-hmm. with their journey. And she goes to church with Abby, who is our digital content manager. And so that's how she came to us as a storyteller. I'm so excited that Abby introduced us to Stephanie because her story is so incredibly medically interesting, for sure, about what she walked through when she found out that she was pregnant with conjoined twins, but also just how God showed up through all of the hard in that in so many little miraculous ways. I can't wait for you to hear her story, and I can't wait for us to discuss it at the end as well. And as a reminder, we are in week three of our parenting series over on Patreon. If you are not a Patreon insider, you can simply scroll down right now in your show notes, click the link to join, and join our Patreon community where you receive extra content and it helps to support our ministry. You can also go to our website at storytellerslive.org. Our own Katie Dunn is wrapping (laughs) up the parenting series this week, and you do not want to miss it. Amy Grody has done a great job bringing three different perspectives of parenting over the past three weeks. So join us over on Patreon. Here's Stephanie. Hi, my name is Stephanie Castle. I am married to Dwight Castle, and we've been married for 11 years. He is a pastor at a local church here in Birmingham, and I get to stay home with our kids, which is just a dream come true for me. Uh, We have five kids, um, Mac, who is almost nine, Judah, who's six, Emmett, um, which is a girl who is almost five, and then we have twin girls, Susanna and Elizabeth, who just turned two. So when Dwight and I met years ago, we were what we thought was older. We were we were getting closer to thirty, and so uh, after we got married, we decided to start trying for kids right away. Pretty pretty soon after, so uh, soon after our second anniversary, we had our first son, Mac, and then before his first birthday, we were pregnant with our second, and that um, that pregnancy actually ended in a miscarriage at sixteen weeks, which was very difficult for us um, at that point. It was the hardest thing we'd ever gone through. And then that was followed by an even harder time of infertility for about a year, um, a little over a year. And that was kind of the first first time we had asked these big questions of, you know, why God, why me? Why is this good? How is this good? That actually resulted in us deciding to foster and we welcomed a newborn little boy into our family. And then six months later, we had our second son, Judah. So we had our two-year-old Mac of a foster son, Kai, and a newborn, uh, three boys. And it was crazy. And and the child that we lost was also a boy. So we felt very boy heavy, <laughs> crazy, crazy um, house and times but sweet times as well. And just kind of an answer to prayer for the family that we always wanted. 
when I guess he, Kai was, our foster son was about nine months, eight and a half to nine months old. He went to be with his mom, which was great. We had a great relationship with her. It was the goal of foster care. So he, he went to live with her. We had a great relationship. We kept that up. We got to see him regularly on the weekends and, you know, pick him up from daycare, um, bring him into our home. It, uh, it was a great time. Soon after that, we got pregnant with our, what's our third child, Emmett. And, uh, it was, it was a crazy, crazy house with four really little kids. Um, but again, really sweet. And we continued that relationship with our foster son for years until the summer of 2019 when it suddenly ended. And at that point, that was the hardest thing we'd ever faced. And in our minds, like this was a great thing. Like this, this kid um, needed the stability that our home offered. And, um, you know, we felt like we were good role models for his mom and, you know, just foster care is tricky and, and it was a hard thing, but we were told that we would never uh, see him again. And to this day we haven't, and it's, it's heartbreaking. But um, after about a year of kind of wondering, like, are we going to still need to like, kind of keep a place in our family for him just to come visit? Or is this really over? We decided like, I think this is really over. And so we need to kind of move on with um, like, I guess our, our family planning, like what we, what we wanted or what we pictured and what we hoped our family would look like. So um, after a year of, of him not being a part of our lives, we decided to start praying about if we should adopt or foster again or um, try for another biological child. And so that, at that point we still had three kids and they were a handful. Our second born is probably like a lot of second borns and is like the equivalent of two or three kids in one. So um, I, I did not know that I had the capacity for another child, but I, I definitely had like space in my heart for another child. And so we just kind of held it open-handed and said like, Lord, we're, we're going to try. And if it doesn't happen, that's fine. And if it does great. So we got pregnant <laughs> with what we thought was going to be our fourth child. And we were so excited. It was a, I don't know, an uncertain time, but an exciting time. We were still kind of coming off this loss with um, Kai and still having those big questions of God, how can this be good? Um, like you, you want good things for your kids, like your children. How is this good? And I think that mentality of, um, of God kind of being a harsh disciplinarian or maybe like someone who, who cares more about our sanctification than our happiness, which, you know, I'm not going to get into the theology of that, but I think we just had a wrong view that God just wanted to inflict hardship in order to draw us closer to him. And we knew in our heads that was not who he is, but we still had this fear that something was going to happen. And we, we had a vacation in, in Maine, just the two of us before, right before we had our ultrasound with, with this baby. And we both kind of admitted to each other that we felt like God was going to teach us some lesson through this pregnancy. And, um, and we feared kind of the worst that, you know, it, it wasn't going to go well. So 
we got home from Maine and the next day um, we had our ultrasound and I had a dream that night that I was having conjoined twins. So when the ultrasound tech, you know, sat me down on the table and asked how I was feeling, I said, well, I dreamed I was having conjoined twins. Um, so as long as that's not the case, I'm, I'm doing great. And a few minutes later, she told us there were two heartbeats. And I think that like the immediate thought was, oh man, <laughs> two babies, like a mixture of just absolute fear. And then also excitement because you know, twins sound fun. Sure. <laughs> I feel like it was a childhood dream to have twins, but then she had to go get the doctor. And that was when we knew like, Oh, this isn't, this isn't good. <laughs> um, so I, I remember sitting on that table and, and Dwight like squeezing my hand beside me and my heart was racing. And I was just wondering what is, our doctor going to say, and we'd been through a lot with our doctor. Like at that point, you know, we'd had three babies and a miscarriage and, um, I knew like, I I don't know. I knew it wasn't good. (laughs) So she came in and she explained, you know, you have, there are two babies. Um, they are in the same amniotic sac. And of course I had no idea what that meant, but she explained how it's high risk pregnancy, regardless of how, of what happens that it will likely result in the death of one in, in utero, both in utero or both um, like later, possibly stillbirth um, with them being in the same sack. It just created um, no buffer between the babies and the two umbilical cords. And so there was a high likelihood of entanglement um, and that the blood would not circulate to both babies properly. So I asked if, if she had heard I had a dream and she's like, yeah, she told me, um, you had a dream. I was like, so what, what about that? Like, does, is there a chance that they're conjoined? And she was like, yeah, there's a chance, but it's very, very unlikely statistically, like they're not conjoined. I was like, okay, we were transferred to UAB maternal fetal medicine and, we had to wait a long time to get in to see them. At least it felt like a long time. It probably wasn't that long, but it was weeks at least to kind of sit with this news of, are they conjoined? Are they going to live? Like what, what is happening? And in that time, we, it was, it was really dark. Um, we left that appointment actually. And we sat at the tar in the target parking lot near Brookwood hospital. <laughs> and we just, cried and cried and cried and didn't know like how to tell people or even process like what was happening. Soon after I went on a walk with my good friend, Kate, and I was telling her about the news and and the unknown. And I think maybe she had done a little research. I'm not really sure, but she was so encouraging and just spoke hope into the situation. And like, I only saw it as, you know, the worst is going to happen. And she was kind of like, I see your family with these, like, I mean, she, at that point was like, I see two little girls, two twin girls in your family. Like I have faith that these girls are going to be fine. And this is going to be 
you know, a good, a good story and like a good, like it's going to have a, ha- a happy ending, I guess. And, and that's not exactly how she said it. And I wish I could remember like exactly what was said, but I left that walk and it was like, God used her to change all of my doubt and my fear to like hope and trust and just trusting that regardless of what happens, regardless of how this turns out, he's going to be with me and, and it's going to be okay. I can't really explain <laughs> how, how that happened. And it's definitely not my personality. It's not like me, but I just, from that point on had a piece about the whole process and my husband is actually the opposite, which is a total role reversal for us because he is normally the rock, the steady one who can, you know, um, I guess listen to his head and not his heart. And, um, I'm just the more emotional person, but he was, he was really experiencing a lot of, a lot of doubt, lots of questioning about God's goodness and God's plan. And I don't know, it was, it was a, it was a good chance for me to kind of learn like his Dwight's normal patience with me. Cause I had to like, learn to be patient with him and not get mad at him about his, um, like lack of faith, I guess. Um, but it was a hard time, but it was, a, it was a sweet time. And from that point on, we started just a blur of appointments from, from the first appointment we went in, we had, I think maybe every other week appointments. And so, um, that first appointment, they confirmed that they were conjoined, which at that point, I think we had kind of come to terms with, they're probably going to be conjoined <laughs> and, and they were, and at that point it was a waiting game. We, every time I laid on that table in the ultrasound room, I just closed my eyes and over and over I repeated, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. And I probably repeated that over and over in my head for the full 20 to 30 minutes that, that they did the scans or however long it took. And I turned out later, it, it turned out later that my husband would say, um, a, a same like deviation of that. Um, And it came from like a repetitive thing we do at church, um, like a confession we do at church. And I, we just, it's like, Lord, just have mercy on us, have mercy on these babies. And every appointment we would learn some news. And then the next appointment we would maybe go back on that news we'd learned, but we'd learn other good news and nothing seemed certain. It was always, um, I don't know. It was always just very fluid, I guess. and to me, it's like, okay, these babies are in there. Whatever's conjoined is conjoined. Why can't you just see it? <laughs> like, why, why can't your instruments just see it? But I understand that science is limited. But the big question was if their hearts were going to be conjoined. And so every week or every every appointment, it was just, can we get a good picture of their hearts? Do we know if they're conjoined? And, you know, we waited for that 20-week ultrasound where they're supposed to be the perfect size. And they did the ultrasound. and they kept telling us, we, we think that they're not like, we think they're very, very close. They might share some muscle around the heart, but not the actual chambers, not the part that um, kind of dictates whether or not they can survive. So we went to CHOP, which is Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, because they have the most 
successful and in, in the most surgery. They've done the most surgeries for conjoined twins. And we also, my husband has family in Philadelphia. So it seemed like a great fit. So the end of February, we traveled to CHOP to kind of learn more about the twins and about their process. And we left, um, it was starting to get warm here in Birmingham into February. You know, we have these random warm days and we went to Philly and it was so cold. There was snow all on the ground. There was ice on the roads. Like, thankfully I did not have to drive because I could not have driven on those streets there. We, they have a pretty intense process for their, um, I don't know, just like the scans. So I, I spent the entire first day getting ultrasounds and an echocardiogram, which is what specifically looks at the hearts. And at that point, we had actually been warned and, and kind of told like that one of the baby's hearts, baby B, um, her heart was not typical and they weren't really sure how it was not typical, but they knew that there was something, something wrong with it. And they kind of warned us and prepared us for some really bad possibilities um, here at, at UAB. So when we went to CHOP, it was a really long echocardiogram. Eventually, we met with the cardiologist and they were like, I'm sorry that that was so long, but we just did not know what was going on with her heart. Like we could not figure it out. Um, but there happened to be a doctor in that day who was um, like, didn't work that often. He was older. But he was there for some meeting and he was like, I, I know what is what's going on with her heart. Like I've, I saw this 30, 40 years ago. Um, and so they thought that the, her two main arteries were not crisscrossing and going into the appropriate places so that her blood would not be oxygenated. And they weren't crisscrossing, but they were actually going to the right places, if that makes any sense at all. So. It doesn't really make that much sense to me, but essentially this really big problem that would have required multiple surgeries after birth corrected itself in utero. They called it corrected transposition of the great arteries. And so, I mean, we knew who did that. Like we knew why her heart was corrected and why it was fixed. I mean, we had so many people had been praying for their hearts um, for so long. And so that was amazing news. So we left that day in that meeting with the assumption that we would move to Philadelphia, that we would have our twin girls, um, that they could, you know, grow for a couple of weeks, get strong, come home with us to Birmingham. And then uh, several months later, after they had kind of grown and gotten big enough, we would move back to Philadelphia for the process to separate, which includes something called tissue expanders, which just kind of stretches out the skin so that they have enough skin to close their abdomens after they're separated, which is about a three to six month process. So, you know, that was our assumption, like, great, we're going to come here, have the babies go back home and then come back for the surgery. Spoiler did not happen like that, but we came back home. We were just so thankful and, and ready kind of for this to start also not ready for this to start, but in that um, kind of six week window that we had before we had to move back to Philadelphia, I think we got like a, a small taste of just um, the sweetness of community and just God's people kind of coming 
coming together and, and serving and helping people in need. Um, we had people raise money for us. We had, um, flights to Philadelphia just in the craziest way. At that point, we were still, it was still like COVID restrictions. So we were meeting in a cold parking deck. It was, I guess, maybe March at that point. And we got to share with our church family. We were, we were pre, our pastor was preaching through Philippians and it happened to be on, and maybe it was planned by our pastor at that point, but it was Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through God who strengthens me was the day that we shared. Um, and at that point, I had no idea how true those words are. Those verses really changed the way I thought about I don't know, that verse and, and God. But, uh, we shared on that Sunday. It was a sweet, sweet time. They prayed for us and we just felt so sent, I guess. Like we knew that, um, this was not going to be an easy time. And our church just felt like it was really coming around us and supporting us then. So I think a couple of weeks later, we moved to Philadelphia and we had to be there two weeks before the birth, just so they could start the monitoring process. We left our three big kids here in Birmingham to finish out school. We had them, the girls, on April 22nd, uh, Susanna and Elizabeth, and the birth went pretty, I guess, uneventful, which was great. They they both came out pink and were breathing, and um, Elizabeth did require oxygen for a few days, and they um, kind of preemptively put feeding tubes in them, which was not something we knew really much about or expected, and became a huge part of our journey. Um, but at that point, you know, we were just told that helps them to eat so that they can focus on breathing. And so we were kind of dealing with, I think two things that we didn't really prepare ourselves for. Not only were they conjoined, but they were also born at 34 weeks. So they were considered premature. Um, so we were kind of thrown headfirst into this NICU life that we didn't expect, which sounds ridiculous because we should have expected it. I mean, they had, the hospital had prepared us, but you know, for some reason you're like, Oh, that's not me. Like we're not going to, that's not going to be our babies. And they were so not just conjoined, but they were, they were premature. So they, they were in the NICU and man, NICU life for anyone who has ever experienced it, it is just a roller coaster. And as soon as you feel like you're learning things and getting the hang of things, it changes. Like there's a new doctor on on rounds. And I mean, it was just, it was so hard to, to adjust. And another thing I just didn't expect was how hard it would be to hold our girls. They had tons of cords, you know, they had pulse ox monitors, they had breathing tubes, they had feeding tubes, just so many so many cords and the process to get the babies off the bed and onto my chest was, I mean, it required a respiratory therapist, two or three nurses, and then someone just to be present to like hold the cords to keep them out of the way as they put them on me. And it's, it's so unfortunate that it's such an ordeal because it really is kind of a hindrance to holding your baby and anyone like even just a a singleton baby in the NICU, like it's a hindrance and it's hard. And those babies need to be held just like normal, you know, normal babies. But we had to like get over the, the fact that it was an inconvenience to everyone for us to hold our babies, you know, and not that they made you feel like that, but 
it just was like, they had to stop everything they were doing and help you for the next, you know, 15 minutes. And then you better go to the bathroom or get a snack before they get, they get, get on you because you're not going anywhere for a long time. It's got to be worth it. If you're going to, if you're going to do all that things that you just, you never think about, you don't expect. And I was also pumping, um, trying to provide milk for these babies. And so I've never, I've never had to do that before, like exclusively pump. So just a big, big learning curve um, that was constantly changing. We we spent actually 98 days in the actual like NICU before we were moved to a step down unit. And, you know, in that time we kept thinking we were going home, like they're going to get healthy and we're going to get to go home to Birmingham. And that just kept that bar just kept moving like, Oh, we need the girls to do this or we need them to do this. And I'll share kind of two, two stories. I think that, kind of highlighted, like, I guess a really difficult moment for us, but, um, you know, we kept being told like, you can't, you can't take them home. Um, like, can you do all this at home? Like, can you do this around the clock? And we're like, well, no, but yeah, we want to like, <laughs> sure. Um, just so we can have some normalcy. Our, our, oh goodness, not to even mention our big kids, um, couldn't come see their sisters. So it was, it was COVID restrictions still. So our big kids could not come in the hospital in the NICU to see our, their, their siblings. And, um, man, it was just so hard. So we really wanted our girls to come home and we blue cross blue shield. Like they approved us being able to have home nursing so that they could come home and be with us, even just there in Philadelphia. I mean, it was so many like small answers to prayer that just kind of kept lining up so that they could come home and be with us there in Philadelphia. And then like three days before they were supposed to come home, we knew that there was like a weight difference between our girls. Elizabeth was really small and Susanna was very robust, but no one seemed to think it was much of a problem. So we didn't think it was much of a problem. I mean, we just were kind of told to like, you go off of what the doctors say, like, you know, and, and we really tried to do that. Like if they weren't concerned, we tried not to be concerned. And one day they came in and they were like, we need to do an upper GI study because something is wrong. And we're like, well, I mean, yeah, we kind of felt something was (laughs) wrong the whole time. Like, why are we just now looking into this? But so they did a, a, they put some contrast in their feeding tubes to see what happened to the food when it went, went down. And sure enough, most of it went to Susanna. And only a small portion of it went to Elizabeth. Both girls, they kind of, their intestines were totally mixed. And the, when they would push the contrast down Elizabeth, it would go into Susanna and some of it would come back to Elizabeth, but it was just all, you know, mixed and mingled. And that's why Susanna wasn't, or why Susanna was gaining so much weight and why Elizabeth wasn't gaining weight. And it was like a very clear answer. And in our heads, we're thinking, why was this not done? earlier, but we had amazing doctors and we totally, we trusted, we trusted them, but it was very frustrating. So at that point it was like, Nope, you can't take them home. Elizabeth has to have a, um, a pick line, which is a peripherally inserted central catheter to give her nutrition directly into her bloodstream. Cause that was the only way she was going to gain weight properly. And, you know, weight gain was the whole goal right now was to gain weight, to get them healthy so that we could do the tissue expanders so that we could separate them. So, you know, whatever we needed to do for her to gain weight, we were going to, we were going to do it, but that meant staying in the hospital. So 
we kind of, you know, put our big girl panties on and just said, okay. Um, but thankfully that's when they moved us from the NICU to a step down unit where we had more, um, I guess privacy, more autonomy, more freedom to come and go and, and some freedom to bring our kids to the hospital, which was huge. So, you know, what we thought was like a, a, a terrible situation and really just kind of a prayer not answered became a really sweet time for us. And we were moved to this floor where, oh goodness, the nurses were just amazing. They became our family. They loved our girls so much. And we just started to like find our groove with hospital life. So that was really sweet. Now, meanwhile, we still have, you know, three kids. And at the point when we realized, oh, this is going to take longer than we think, we decided to move our kids to Philadelphia with us. We weren't planning on doing that. So we didn't have anywhere to live. And of course, God just totally provided every single thing we needed condos to stay in when a friend of a friend's condo who they like kind of traveled for the summer and it was available and it was the most amazing complex right across the bridge from the hospital had a swimming pool for our kids for the summer, like could not have been more perfect. And it was so perfect that we were like, well, maybe we can find an, and it was only available for a month. So we were like, well, we need somewhere else for a little bit of time too. Like maybe we can find something else in this complex, but they don't rent to short-term renters. So I just emailed a couple of people anyway and was like, Hey, like kind of told our situation. Sure enough, there was this couple who were, they were from Tennessee and they owned this complex, uh, this, this condo in the complex. And it was going to be unrented for two months before the people that they had signed a lease with were going to be able to move in. And so they were like, you can stay there. I mean, I think it was maybe against the rules, but they were like, we'll do it. And it was great. It was so perfect. It was like the perfect answer to prayer. We got to stay in that same area and use that same pool. And like our kids got to be entertained. I mean, our kids were also falling apart. Like I want to make sure that our kids were having a very rough time um, with us leaving to go to a hospital to see these, you know, hypothetical babies that they (laughs) have hardly gotten to see. It was a, it was a really hard time. But it was a really sweet time of God's provision. And he did not, God did not provide like with tons of time to spare so that we could get comfortable in our plans. He usually provided when we were like, what are we going to do? We have to get out of here in a week. Like, where are we going? But he always came through always. And with like an even better thing than we thought, like a a perfect scenario that we we couldn't have even imagined. You know, as time progressed, we we realized we have to figure out school for our kids. Like it was it was getting to be the school year. Um and you know, life doesn't stop just because you have babies in a hospital. So we had to figure out school. And sure enough, the school that Dwight's cousins grew up going to is a Christian school right over the bridge in New Jersey. They had space in the classes that we needed space. Um, Dwight's aunt's like best friend was the teacher, was the second grade teacher that Mac was going to be in second grade. And she's like, I want him to be in my class. So like, I just cannot 
emphasize enough how the Lord just weaved everything together so perfectly, the way that God just continued to show up. And as hard as things were, God's like lavish provision was just undeniable. It, you couldn't like, you couldn't wallow too much because of how gracious God was and how kind people were. Um, our kids are now obsessed with like Philadelphia and sports and things because the sports teams gave us tickets to things and the hospital gave us tickets. So like, I mean, our son is a Phillies fan, an Eagles fan, Sixers fan, like the biggest fan. It's kind of ridiculous. We live in Alabama, but it was, it was a hard time, but it was a sweet time, I think is what I'm trying to get at. And all this time was leading up obviously to the separation. Everything went pretty seamless at the hospital. We were kind of told like, you should expect some hiccups. There will be problems. There will be setbacks. And there weren't like, we just kept going towards December 10th. And thankfully, like we didn't have any issues with expanders. Um, you know, I say issues. There were, there were little things, but no, no major issues. And there were no, um, no like sicknesses. Like the girls never got sick in the hospital that delayed our timeline. Like, Everything went really great. And it was all kind of leading up to December 10th. And that was, that was the day that, you know, we, sorry, um, we've been told like separation, December 10th. And the day was so sweet. Dwight and I actually were joyful and, um, we went and like got flowers for the nurses and got lunch and, like sat around and talked to some doctors and some nurses and some NPs. Like people came to see us. We were able to stay in the room that the girls had been in that whole time. Um, and it was kind of a sweet day, which sounds insane and really was a gift from the Lord because the surgery just kept going, and going and going. And, you know, we kind of thought like, all right, we should, we should probably be hearing something by now. And we didn't. Anyway, it, it took a lot longer than, than we thought. And we were told, like, the surgeon's going to come talk to you. So we didn't know what that meant. You know, um, we're just like, are they okay? Are they alive? Is everything okay? Um, they're like, they're, they're okay, but the surgeon's going to come talk to you. And so, um, I mean, I think it was like nine 30 at night. It had been over 12 hours. It was a long day and he came and sat down and, oh man, he looked so tired, which you can only imagine. Like he'd been standing on his feet, operating on our babies all day long. Like, and he's such a like straight, straight laced, like matter of fact, he starts drawing a picture and telling us what happened. And essentially the, the level of connection between their intestines was more than he thought. And we, we knew they were connected but the liver seemed to be pretty easy to separate their hearts. Nothing was conjoined with their hearts, not even the like muscle around it. It was so easy, but their intestines were very tricky. And some of the like drains, how like your body processes food and and waste. And um, that was, that was actually the part that, you know, doesn't really show up on MRIs and doesn't show up on ultrasounds. And you just don't know how it's going to be connected until you're in there. And that was the, that was the tricky part. So, you know, the whole time we were so worried about Elizabeth, we, she was our, our baby B, our baby with the heart problem and our, our baby with the, you know, not gaining weight with the shorter intestines. And she did lose um, for a six, she lost 60% of her small intestines in that surgery, but he was like, she's, she's great. She's going to be fine. 
but Susanna is um, the one we are going to really be watching for the next few days. And if, if she survives the first 72 hours, then I think we'll be in the clear, you know, and I, I really wish I knew like more medical knowledge, like had more medical knowledge to explain this, but essentially those drains that drain the waste, like he had to reconnect them into the, the top part of the intestines. And so your body has to drain that waste. It has to get rid of it. Um, and he just wasn't sure how those connections were going to hold and if they were going to hold. And at that point, like it, that was just not what we expected. You know, we, we thought Elizabeth was going to be our, our sick baby. And we'd given her the name we'd given her because we thought she was going to be our baby that needed to um, like fight hard to survive. And so we just didn't expect that. And, oh man, if I, I've never shared pictures on I probably should have said this earlier, but we have a Facebook page <laughs> that people followed along and prayed for us called Castle Conjoined Twins. And we tried to post updates regularly. And when it came time post-surgery, I could not share pictures of them. Like it was just too hard. So if people are like, why is there a gap in pictures? Like it's because I just can't share these pictures. I listened to another mom tell her story about her child being on sedative or um, paralytics when they come back from surgery. And I could just feel like the hurt because when they came back, when we, when we got to finally see them, they were so swollen, obviously. I mean, they'd been in surgery all day. They were put on a paralytic, which, you know, makes them not be able to move. And, understandably so like I, I understand why they were this way but it did not make it easy to look at them because they looked completely lifeless and at that point as bizarre as it sounds that was the first point where I realized how sick our babies were and I felt so guilty that we had done this to them like they were happy and they were they were not sick when they were you know connected to one another you know, they, they were like in my mind, I was thinking like, we've done this to them. They couldn't have, have lived off of, you know, outside of a hospital essentially with, without being separated. But in my mind, I was like, they were happy and now they're so sick. Why did we do this? Those first few days were so hard. I mean, my husband had to like pull me away from the bed. Cause I just thought I've got to be here. Like what, what if something happens? And for the first time we did leave, we did go get some sleep at night at a, at a hotel around the corner, but we got calls in the middle of the night, like, Hey, this happened. And, you know, we'd never gotten calls in the middle of the night. They'd never been so sick that they had to call us to tell us things in the middle of the night. And for the first week or so we were getting calls every night and Susanna started spiking fevers and we were so worried. And I kept saying, well, have you run a viral panel? You know, in my mind, I'm like, maybe she's just sick. <laughs> maybe that's why she's spiking fevers. And they're like, you know, thinking it's infection and all these things. And sure enough, it was, it was just a virus. I mean, it was a serious virus. I think she said it had RSV, but like it took them like four or five days of running a fever to, for them to run a viral panel. I'm like, are you sure she just doesn't have a virus? <laughs> but, um, I mean, slowly, slowly they got better. They got healthier. The weaning off of all of the 
um, pain medication was such a beast. Like all the things, like it, it was like they had to start over from scratch. I mean, cause they couldn't eat for however many weeks. And so then we had to start feeding them again and how, you know, how would they be able to digest food? And I mean, goodness, I thought we were going to be in recovery for, you know, a month. We were in recovery for so long, so long, but they slowly made progress. They slowly got out of the NICU and got to go back to the step down unit floor that we were on before. Um, it was kind of like our, our entire process of the, you know, two steps forward, one step back, like they made progress. And finally on, I think it was day 295 of being in the hospital, Susanna got to come home. And that was a sweet and scary day because she had never <laughs> been in a car or uh, been in, like she never, she, she'd been on walks outside of the hospital wall. So she had seen, you know, a garden, but that was about it. And they're like, you know, I hear, yeah, it's kind of like that newborn, like what they're sending us home with this newborn, like what they're sending us home with this 10 month old who's like so sick. I don't know. but. Oh man. And what a sweet day. Like she got to leave the hospital and it was hard because obviously we had to leave a baby there, but we knew that like, we didn't want Susanna to suffer just because Elizabeth still had to be there. So, you know, she got to come home. She was terrified of her siblings. <laughs> you know, they're very loud and um, in her face and she's like, what is happening? So it was a couple of days of adjustment, but she, she adjusted quickly and oh man, you should see him now. It's like best friends, but she was, she was scared. Um, and Elizabeth kept getting better and we kept taking Susanna back to the hospital every day with us. And, um, you know, slowly we were realizing we could be here for a while or the doctors were like, you could go to, you could go home and she could be in, at your local hospital. And we we're like, Oh yeah. Like, yeah, we could go home. And, you know, at, at that point, life in a hospital, I think they were getting tired of us. So we were, we were getting tired of being there. We were asking a whole lot of questions and demanding a whole lot of, you know, explanations for things. And I think they were like, they just need to go um, in a sweet way. I mean, I, I don't think we crossed any lines, but there's only so much you can take. Uh, so they, everything was arranged. We were able to fly Elizabeth um, in, you know, medical transport to, Children's of Alabama, and we were able to all fly home as a family. And, you know, I would love to say that from then on, it was great and perfect and everything was wonderful. But obviously, it has not been easy. Elizabeth only had to stay in the hospital here for a week until she got to come home. So that was a really unexpected, sweet, sweet thing. They're a little more laid back here <laughs> in Alabama and a little more like, I think, trusting two of us and. I don't know. It was, it was great when they were like, do you want to try to take her home? We were like, what? Like we can take her home with a central line in. And they're like, sure. Well, I was like, okay, great. Like we can do that. You know, that, that, that first stretch, I, I won't, I won't, I won't belabor this, but um, the two steps forward, one step back. I mean, we were up all night long trying to run feeds because they still have feeding tubes. And um we were just, we were just so tired. We were, you know, burning the candle at both ends and not sure what was going to, how we were going to manage. And again, the Lord provided, we were able to hire some night nurses. We were able to um, hire like a, a kind of a nanny 
like to help me a few days a week because Dwight had to go back to work and, um, you know, I was up all night. Anyway, it was just, it was, it was really hard. Um, but God provided. And once again, all of our church family stepped in with meals and laundry and all the things. Um, so again, I think my, 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 uh, my mantra should be like, it was, it was hard times, but God was good. Uh, but I thought back a lot to, um, us sharing on Philippians 413, um, at church that Sunday and just how true those words would be and how we just didn't even know at the time. And maybe our pastor did, but, you know, growing up hearing that, that verse, you think it's so cliche, like Tim Tebow has it on his cheek. Like I can do all things through God who, and Tim, Tim, Tim Tebow, I'm not knocking on him, but like, I can do all things through through Christ who strengthens me, you think of as like a empowerment to go and like do the hard things and like live into, you know, something maybe you think you couldn't do on your own, but like to enter into those hard things. And maybe that is some of what it means, but I think it's more hard things are going to come. And when they, when they do, like, I'm going to give you strength. Like, I'm going to be with you. I'm, I'm going to get you through it. Like, you can do it. And I, you know, not to like hear me out before you judge me, but like, I look back on that, that time, that year and a half or year or whatever. And I'm like, how did I do that? Like I did, I was up so early pumping and I was up late with this and I was at the hospital and I was taking care of kids and I'm, and I'm still like, you know, cooking some meals and, and like, how did I do that? And like, that is not me. That is not my personality. I, you know, Dwight, he's the, my husband, he's the hard things. He wants to go through like buds training just to see if he can do it to be a Navy SEAL. Like he wants to do hard things. And I'm like, nope, like I'll just take my afternoon nap and I want things to be easy. No conflict. Like I'm an Enneagram nine to a T. I do not want those hard things. So to like, think about how I did those. Like it was not me. It was all God. He strengthened me. He strengthened me when I could not do those things. And, um, also kind of that, that Sunday, there was a song that I had thought about requesting we sing and I didn't cause I was like, no, I'm not going to be that person. But our children, I mean, our, um, music director chose the song, um, yet not I, but through Christ in me. And, I'm going to just read two verses if, if I can, because it, it, this, this song has just, it's been my, I don't know, my heart's cry, like for, since I found out that we were expecting, but, um, the night is dark, but I am not forsaken for by my side, the savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing for in my need, his power is displayed to this. I hold my shepherd will defend me through the deepest valley. He will lead. On the night, oh, oh, the night has been won and I shall overcome yet not I, but through Christ in me. And I obviously can't answer those big questions still of like, you know, why me or why, you know, how is this good? But our church has been going through Ecclesiastes lately and and the, the phrase like time and chance happens to us all has really been just playing over and over in my mind. And I think, you know, everyone experiences hard times. Everyone experiences suffering. And I think, the difference is as, as Christian believers, like we just don't go through it alone. We don't suffer alone. Like we have, we have a God that is not far off, but he is, he is leading us in that valley and he is with us. 
and he will, he will get us through. Well, I don't know about y'all, and Katie, you alluded to this earlier, but when you were listening to Stephanie's story, you felt like you were watching a movie. When I was listening to Stephanie's story, I felt like I was reading the Old Testament. <laughs> like I was like, this is an Old Testament story mm. of Stephanie and her husband, and she having a dream. Even beforehand, God was preparing their hearts. God was saying, they were wrestling with, hey, God, we're going through hard things. Why? I mean, they were asking the big Mm. questions. And I mean, I I don't say that lightly. I mean, it really did kind of remind me of some of those really solid Old Testament stories. I mean, first of all, you talked about the dream. How amazing Mm -hmm. that God gave her a dream. And he really prepared their way Mm -hmm. all along. So he gave her the dream that they were having conjoined twins. Then she went walking with her friend who said, who really shifted her perspective and said, actually see you mm-hmm. with twin girls. And mm-hmm. this was before they knew that. And so it's like God gave her pieces of hope mm-hmm. and pieces of encouragement as they had this journey to cling to. Isn't that amazing? Can I just pause right here and say, if you've never had that happen, ask. Ask the Lord to speak to you and give you prophetic words and visions, especially when you're walking through something really challenging, because it gives you that that thing to hold on to, that hope to hold on to. Mm-hmm. You know, Robin, you mentioning the friend that gave her those encouraging words. To me, it's a challenge for all of us how often God lays things on our hearts about mm-hmm. our friends or our loved ones that we don't actually share with them. Maybe we're afraid to. Maybe we feel like, oh, I don't really know if that's going to happen or if that's, that is true, and we don't say it. Mm-hmm. But how that just spoke such truth to her in that moment and gave her the courage that she needed, not only for herself, but for her husband as well during that. To me, I mean, this story was just about God's provision. Mm-hmm. He's just such a God of, of answered prayers, small answered prayers, you know, the, those prayers that you pray or that you don't even know you need to pray, yes. and He answers, that He can get you through those hard moments of life and such beauty and joy can come as a result as well. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, the the news when they found out that they were having conjoined twins, just the fear that could have taken over their lives. And even now, or the fear of the future of, of the pregnancy, of the delivery, of what was going to happen after the delivery, and living in that fear. And instead, they chose to live in the hope of Jesus is going to meet us in this, and He's going to get us through. Mm-hmm. And when I was listening to Stephanie's story, I I had that pause moment because I'm so like in tune to the medical and the, you know, you're picturing them in the hospital and they're in Philadelphia. And, and, and then all of a sudden in the middle of the story, she says, meanwhile, we still have three kids. Yes. And as a mom, my heart just literally sank like, oh, that's right. Because I can't imagine being away from my other three children. I'm trying to be a good parent to them. I'm trying mm-hmm. to lead them and be a good mom. And yet I noticed that she said, it was a really hard time, but you could hear the smile on her face. Mm. That's the joy yeah. you're yeah. talking wow. about, Katie. That's so true. I, I thought, she's smiling as she says that. And I, and I realized, you know, she's past it. The girls are now two years old. However, still, it was hard. Yeah. And, and God was right there in the pit with her. Mm. And, you know, with this story, I really felt like 
one of you, the listeners, because this was a rare story that did not come from a live gathering. I actually recorded Stephanie myself over the summer. And if you've been around here for a while or you know, our daughter has walked through a lot of medical issues and our doctor is in Baltimore. And so we were in the process this summer of lengthening our daughter's leg, going back to Baltimore as Stephanie is sharing this story of being in Philadelphia for a year while her children were here part of the year. And if I ever felt like a listener to this podcast and finding hope of stories of Jesus, of everyday women, this was my story. I cried the whole time she shared it. And I was like, I have been there. I know how I am here right now, and I know how this feels. And for her to share how God showed up in the small ways, you know, she said it was two steps forward and one step back. She said that, you know, there were moments where God showed up, but it was not until the last minute. But what she, one thing that really caught me was when she said, it was really difficult, but before we could get too heavy in our grief or lack of hope, God would show up with mm-hmm. something and remind us who He mm-hmm. was. Immeasurably more. Yes. 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 And if that did not speak to me mm-hmm. in that moment of, yeah, sometimes this is just the worst, <laughs> and yet God continues to bring mm-hmm. you small glimpses of hope, knowing you're going to get to the other side. Robin, you just painted the most beautiful picture of this ministry. I remember you talking about recording Stephanie's story. But, you know, storytellers, because we want women's faith to increase, we want them to find freedom in Jesus Christ. We want community to be built, and that is community. That is how God is connecting women literally in the same town, literally across the country, through the power of of Him, through the power of story, and Him being in the details of each of our lives. I love that Stephanie and you are now friends, and y'all have been connected. And yeah. that is such she a keeps beautiful, checking in mm-hmm. on me. Yes, <laughs> and that is such a beautiful picture. If you want to know the essence of storytellers, that is it right mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. that. Yeah, you're so right. Well, y'all, can I pray to wrap us up today? We don't. If you have been listening, we do this sometimes. We don't do it all the time, but um, I think because the story is so near and dear to my heart. And I do feel like I'm slowly climbing out of the pit and getting to the other side. I would love to pray hope for any of you that are walking through something challenging. Lord, I thank you for Stephanie's story. I thank you that you do not leave us in the heart. I thank you for dreams and visions and prophetic words and moments of hope, immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, even in the middle of something that feels so dark and so heavy. Um, Lord, that we know in our heart of hearts, that you will pull us out of this. We know that there is light at the end of the tunnel, and it is through your hope in Jesus that we are able, uh, Lord, to continue to keep going. I thank you. I pray for these women today who might find themselves in this very spot, that this story, that this episode, that this conversation would bring the ultimate hope in something difficult. Your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Robin, for that. That was a beautiful way to end today's episode. And I'm so excited about next week's episode. We have 85-year-old Doris Slappy, who is sharing her story. And let me tell you, uh, you're going to want to have pen and paper, story of wisdom, and just such encouragement of just a surrendered life, really, and what the Lord did with her. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.